We are in week three of a series called My House. Because uh, we've, we've probably heard, if you've been in the church very long, that there's spiritual leadership that's supposed to happen in the home. And we get that burden placed on us, but we don't often know how to go about doing that. So that's what this series has been all about. And we started a couple weeks ago and we said this, listen, uh, spiritual leadership is all about you helping them get close to God. And uh, the first step, two weeks ago we talked about, uh, is that you and I would be growing personally towards God. And we looked at the Day of Atonement and how each one is responsible to cultivate that intimate relationship with their Heavenly Father. Then last week we talked about leading from the front. You remember that? Some of you were here and, and the idea of leading from the front. And sometimes you have to pull people along with you and, and set the pace out front, leading from the front. And we talked about the Sabbath, that one of the greatest things we can do as spiritual leaders is help people cultivate that relationship with God by being faithful in His house of worship on the Sabbath day. And that not only helps you grow, it helps them grow and helps you grow closer together. Today, we're going to talk about another one of those things that uh, will help you grow closer to God, will help them grow closer to God, and that will tighten the bond between you. And that's from leading from the side. Last week was leading from the front and kind of being uh, demonstrative and, and, and uh, strong in our leadership. This time, we're going to talk about leading from the side and what that looks like, because let's be honest. Uh, there's things about leadership spiritually that are involving the heart, and we can't do that from the front. We have to do it from the side. I'm getting a good lesson at what it looks like to lead from the side. I have a 16-year-old daughter, and she's learning to drive. That means she's in the driver's seat, and I'm curled up in the fetal position in the passenger seat. <laughs> and it's going okay. <laughs> no, she's doing awesome. I'm, you're doing awesome. But it's scary. It's scary because they're in control and you're not. And they're 16 and you're older. And uh, you've done this before and they've never done this before. And so you hang on. You're pumping the air brakes. You want to grab the wheel, but you're from the side. Leading from the side, I can't do it for her. I can't make her turn. I can't make her stop. I'm just there to encourage, to warn, to close my eyes, you know, all the above. I'm trying to lead from the side and encourage her and help her be a great driver. That's what leading from the side looks like, is you can't do it for them, but you're there cheering them on next to them. Guys, when it comes to spiritual leadership in the home, there's so much that, that involves growing spiritually that we can't make anyone else do. Because we can make them come to church and we can make them develop habits and, and have a certain moral standard, but when it gets to be their time and their age, if their heart has not been transformed where they want and long for a relationship with a living God, then all we've done is created a false sense of security for later. What we want to see is our kids to love God, to long for Him, to grow in Him, to be more like Jesus. And so those are hard issues that we can't control, so we have to come at it from the side. Our job is to nurture and influence in those things. And so we've been looking at each week, we've been looking at a Jewish festival or the Sabbath last week and how the, the faith of the Jews was passed on generation to generation 
to their kids through observing the festivals that God had given them. And today is no different. We're going to look at a couple festivals as well. But these are lead from the side kind of issues. Where at the end of the day, their faith was not just passed on in practice, but that there would be a heart encounter with the living God. And guys, can we just be honest? The church has been losing 16, 17, 19, 25-year-olds for far too long. And I believe part of it is, is I don't know that we've engaged them in the heart level enough before they got to that age. So how do we do that? What does it look like for us to engage the next generation for Christ at the heart level? We're going to look at, uh, starting in Leviticus 24, we'll look at the first festival together. And it says this, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I'm going to give you, and you reap its harvest, bring it to the priest, a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord, so that it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. So this was in the early fall when the first crop starts coming in in Israel, and they would harvest it, and they would bring the very first of their harvest to God. They would actually travel and, and present that before the Lord. And it was a declaration. God, I believe that you are the God who is the great provider, that I have this crop in my hands and this food in my barns because you, God, even though I toiled and worked and labored and planted and cultivated and watered and harvested, it was you, God, because of your goodness and mercy that I, I have these things today. It's your doing. That's what the first fruit teaches. That's what it taught generation after generation that God was this great provider. In fact, listen to one of the commentators. He said, The offering of the first of the harvest to God was a way of reckoning the fact that the land belonged to God. And it was a token of his, of his abundant blessings. Man, the reason I have this abundance, even as a farmer, I don't own this land, but God gave me this land. And I, and I don't make it cause things to grow. God causes it to grow. And it reminds us of things like God is in control. It reminds us that we need God. That you know, In our day, we wait for our paycheck and we think we need our paycheck. But it is God himself who gives us the very air that we breathe and allows us to have all that we are. That God, we need you. And that it is God who sustains us and cares for us and provides for our every need. And the intended response of this first fruit festival, as the families would go and present this first fruits, is the idea of, of gratitude and thankfulness. That's a heart thing, isn't it? That's a heart thing. Man, that I, I may not have everything on my wish list. There might be a few things that I wish I had. SS Camaro. Um, there's a couple things out there I could long for and not possess, but God, there's so many things that I do have that you've given me, and I should be grateful for these things, and I could keep thinking about the things I don't have, or I could set my heart on what I do have, and how faithful you've been, and how generous and kind you've been, and have a heart of gratitude for all that you have given me. Man, spiritual leadership starts with us modeling that idea of gratitude, that we show genuine thanks for our jobs. I know we like to complain about our work, but to be genuinely thankful for the jobs that God has given us that have, provides for us and our families, to be genuinely thankful. You ever, you ever get excited when you pay the last bill of the month? You're like, we did it. Another month, yes. 
We got like three days before the next bill comes in. This is awesome. We made it. But to have a heart of thankfulness and gratitude, man, God, you have provided. Again, this month, we did it. You provided. You've been faithful. To recognize that we have what we need because God has given it to us. And to understand that we have more than we need. We have more than we need because God has given it. You know, when Jesus would feed the 5,000 or the 4,000, they would just out of a few things and God would multiply it and then they would pick up basketfuls of leftovers. You say, why would they do that? Here's why. Because I believe it shows the nature and the character of God that God loves to give more than we need. That oftentimes we have more than we absolutely have to have. We have an abundance because he's an abundant God. In fact, the New Testament says it this way. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father. Everything good in your life, everything that you're thankful for, everything that you should show gratitude for, every one of those has a source and an origin, and it started in the heart of God. And God was the one who provided those things for you and for your family. Man, he's a gracious God. It's a foundational truth. And when, the, and when the Jews would celebrate this festival of first fruits, it was an annual reminder that God has been faithful. An annual reminder that, that God, you did this, we didn't do this. Yes, we labored, but you were the one that provided for us. It was an annual reminder to show gratitude for what God has provided. It was a beautiful way to teach their children that. That's the first festival. Second one I want to show you. Is um, found in Deuteronomy chapter 16. You can also find it in Leviticus 23 and Numbers 28. I'm going to just read one of them for you. It says this. Count off seven weeks from the time you began to put the sickle to the standing grain. So seven weeks from the first fruits. Fast forward 49 days. That's actually 50 days later. Then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a freewill offering in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. That's the temple they were going to build. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the, the Levites in your towns and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows living among you. Remember that you are slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. So 50 days after the first fruits, they go back to offer another sacrifice to God. And it's called the Festival of Weeks. And unlike the other festivals, remember the Day of Atonement, that was because they had sinned and had a sin debt before God. And so they would lay their hand on the goat, confessing their sins, and God would, they would slaughter that animal as a sacrifice and the payment for their sin. It was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do on the cross. But this was not about their sin. And then we just read the first fruits. This was a response to the harvest. God, because you provided for us and my family for another year, because you've been so good to me, I'm, I'm bringing a portion of that back to you in worship to you. Unlike those, this is an offering that wasn't tied to any of that. Did you notice it was called a free will offering? The verse said that. It means they did it just because they wanted to. 
Just because, God, you've been so good, just because, God, you are worthy of our worship, God, just because you are kind and generous and loving and providing and caring for us, God, out of all that you've done, I want to offer back to you a part of what uh, you've given me because I love you. That's That's a hard thing, isn't it? That's a hard thing. And every time they had this festival of weeks, and the kids would ask, why are we bringing this sacrifice? Why are we traveling to Jerusalem? Why are we doing this again? They get to say, because our God is good and he loves us. And because he loves us, we are offering this back as a way to show our love back to our great God. We are offering this gift back to him. See, this festival teaches us something very profound. That we love God for who he is and what he's done on our behalf. Not only is God the great provider, not only is God the great forgiver, he's blessed us beyond measure that he's kind and he's generous and he's loving. And I don't know if you noticed at the end of that verse, he said, remember, we were slaves trapped in Egypt in bondage for generation after generation after generation. And we were stuck and no way out. The Pharaoh was strong and we were not going to be free ever again. And yet our God intervened and he paid, he paved a way for us to be released and free. And now we're standing in our own land, reaping our own harvest, not as slaves, but as free people, as God's people. And guys, the parallels for us are the same. That at a time in our lives, we were, we were in slavery to sin and in slavery to death and in slavery to the, the thought of and the possibility of hell in our lives. And Jesus Christ intervened and he made a way for us to be delivered from slavery into freedom. The price that would cost Jesus Christ himself paid that you and I could be free and no longer slaves. And because he did that for us, We respond in love. Now, when life beats us up and things get hard and this cruel world does its worst against us, it's easy to forget the goodness of God. It's easy to forget what he's done for us. So let's just remind ourselves again what he did. Jesus stepped out of heaven, a place we would all love to be, and he came down to this earth. And he endured physical and emotional and spiritual torment on your behalf and my behalf because he loves you and he loves me. And he went to a cruel cross, a torture device, a a death sentence by the Romans. And he did that taking all of your sin and all of my sin and carrying it in your place and in my place and paying the, the price that God required in order for us to go from slavery to what? To freedom. Because he loves you. That's who God is. And that's what he's done for you and I. He says, remember that. Remember that. That's what this festival of weeks was all about. Life may not be exactly where you want it today. But there's a God who loves you enough to do all that for you. And so worship him and celebrate him today. And if you've never received Christ and had a this offer, this invitation that Jesus has is I want to give you life today and give you a new start in your life right now today and I want to offer you an eternity in heaven with me. It's a free gift he can offer because he's already paid for the gift through his life, death, and resurrection. If you've never received that gift, Jesus wants to give it to you today.
And I'm going to give you a chance to respond later in the message. So these are two Old Testament festivals that show us that this is a heart issue thing. That when we're trying to lead people spiritually, it's not just about following rules. It's about following our God. And the New Testament has something to say about that. This is one of the few passages that talks to parents about how to lead their family. It says this, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Let me stop there. That means don't be so harsh. Don't be so hard to please that your kids think they can never please you. Don't, be, don't set the bar so high that it's always criticism and condemnation. Don't steal their will. Don't steal their drive. Don't steal their, their heart by, by making it impossible to please you. Don't exasperate them. But bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You see, there's a responsibility that's given to each one of us as a a spiritual leader that we get the responsibility of passing it on, training and instruction. Instruction is knowledge. Training is doing and application that we want to lead those that that we are leading in both of those things. And we can't wing it. Um, I mean, you and I would never say, you know what, I'm just going to wait for somebody else to feed my kids tonight. You'd be waiting a while, wouldn't you? You'd get up in the morning, you know, I know they got to go to school, but somebody, somebody else can clothe them. You would never think that way, right? You would never say, listen, um, I'm going to ask somebody else to hug and show affection to my children. That's your job, right? Then why in the world do we think we should give out the, the, the responsibility of spiritual leadership to anyone else but ourselves. I mean, at the church, we, we try. We get an hour or two a week with a kid, and that's it. But what I know is the kids will follow your example and my example in the home far more than they'll follow anything else. I mean, I got three teenagers, and um, I, my, my love language is touch. And uh, they don't like it, <laughs> but I try to hug them, pat their back. I stroked somebody's hair this morning while I woke her up. I love showing my love uh, through touch to my kids, and I'm not giving that responsibility to anybody else. It's mine. Scripture says, parents, raise them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so we need to have a plan. We need to have a plan of action. Training and instruction, that sounds kind of official, doesn't it? Like we ought to be, uh, have, a, have a guide to go by. You know, if we aim at nothing, we'll hit it every time. But if we have some sort of plan that we're following to lead our family, now we can gauge how well we're doing. So really with the rest of our time, you've got a little grid on your, on your hand out there. I want to show you what we've done in our home to try to raise our kids in instruction and in knowledge and training of the Lord. Now, can I be honest with you? We've, we've fallen short. We, we haven't done it as well as we could have. There's areas that I feel like we've dropped the ball in. But I can tell you about seven or eight years ago, we came up with this plan. And it's not the best plan, but it's our plan. My challenge today is going to be that you have a plan, whether it's you and your spouse or you and some kids or your grandkids, whatever the family unit looks like, that together you're growing 
and helping each other get closer to the Lord. So here's our plan for our kids. The first thing that we want, wanted our kids to know and believe at this age, is preschool age, it's foundational that they get an understanding of Jesus. Who is he? Why did he come? Is he available to me today? How do I interact with him? And so we do things like pray. We want to teach them that Jesus is available and nearby, that we can call out on him anytime, that Jesus can be prayed to and he'll hear our prayers. We want a cult. What do we want? What do we want them to do? We want them to develop the habit of prayer. So how do we do that? We anybody want to guess? We pray together. We pray together before meals, before bedtime, when they have a question, when, when there's a problem, when you don't know what to do, when the bills aren't getting paid, that as a family, you begin to pray with your kids. Guess what? A four-year-old loves to pray. They love to pray. They're not scared to pray. Somewhere along, we get scared to pray. Four-year-olds are great prayers. Er, er, er. And then we want to teach them that not only can we talk to Jesus, that we can hear from Jesus. And that he wrote, there's a book written by Jesus, about Jesus, for Jesus. And it's God's great word. That we can start exposing them to God's word and then develop the, uh, the habit of, of getting into God's scriptures. I'm going to show you the tool in a second. So we just want to, how do we do that? We just want to start reading together. Get involved in God's word together. You can't hand them Leviticus and say, have, have fun. I, you and I don't read Leviticus. I mean, come on. But at our church, every time they go to preschool, they get the color. They get a little activity. They get a lesson. They've done activities, hands-on stuff. And then they, you get this little sheet to take home, and it tells you what the, big, the, the verse was, the big picture, what they learned, the bullet points they learned. And then it has family discussion starters. A question like, how did God show us that he is patient? Man, that's a great question. And then it has activities. And it, the, for, I like the second one. It says, take your kids to the flea market. Good luck with that. But it has hands-on practical ways to take what they're learning on Sunday and bring it into their life. Man, that's every week. If you don't get one of these, you tell me because every week they're supposed to be getting one of those. And that's how you can lead your family. You can get the children's Bible. I, that's the one resource I couldn't find. You know, with pictures. And they can just kind of paw the pages as you're reading. Guess what a four-year-old loves to do? Crawl up in your lap and read a book, right? Well, you read them Bible. They got cool ones. They got action Bible, looks like a comic strip. They got all kinds of awesome resources. Man, just expose them to God's word so they might have an understanding of Jesus. That's what we do at that age. And this isn't always linear. It doesn't always work out exactly like this. But the next phase for the, uh, the elementary age is you want them to embrace Jesus. Embrace Jesus. Yeah, there you go. Embrace him. Go beyond just knowing about him to knowing him. To have a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, do you realize by fifth grade, which is that age right there, 
The experts are saying if, if a child doesn't accept Christ by fifth grade, the, the chances of them actually doing so drop dramatically. Fifth grade. That, that the kids in the world we live in today, it used to be high school, now it's fifth grade. Their worldview set by fifth grade. So what do we do? What do we do to help them embrace Jesus? How do we do that? Man, we share the good news with them. You share the good news with them. You tell them about what it means to have a relationship with Christ. And you say, well, I'm not sure about that or how to do that. Can I tell you, there's, there's three resources in the back table in the hall that you can pick up. One is our gospel training booklet, and it walk you through what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. We've got one that's called Knowing God Personally, same thing. And uh, the third one here is, do you know for certain that you have eternal life? Man, these are excellent resources. And you don't have to be a theologian. You just have to be a page turner. And you go, hey, let's read this. What's the word? Together. Let's read this together. Every person in here would cry like a baby if you took one of these and you showed it to your kids and they said yes to Jesus and they embraced him. You'd cry like a baby. And you should. It's the most exhilarating experience you could ever have with your kid is leading them to faith in God and Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, I've had the privilege of doing that. Uh, one was on a Halloween night after trick-or-treating. I, I led Spider-Man to Jesus that year. It was awesome. Um, actually, I don't know what he was dressed up as, but I'll never forget. It was the most, one of the most powerful events in our lives. And we got to do it together as we shared the good news with him. Uh, the other piece that you want to do at this age is, is just... Um, Not only find life in Christ, but also to just be growing in Him and, and uh, in developing their character. And so the other piece you can do to help them embrace Jesus is to do Scripture memory. Because a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old are sponges. They're sponges. Man, they, they'll memorize Scripture. We did this with our kids some. And if I'm honest with you, this is our weakest point. We didn't do great at this. But they've got some verses hid in their heart. They've got some verses that they know by heart because we tried to get it in there. And there's all kinds of awesome resources now. There's songs. We still know the songs that you sing the songs and it teaches you scripture memory because it's quoting scripture. It's awesome. I know 1 John 1 5, it's a rap song. It's great. There's apps you can download, it's awesome. You want them to embrace Jesus. You can, our, our elementary age has a similar handout. Every time your kid goes to our K-5 through class, they get something like this, and it's another opportunity to reinforce what they're learning and help them grow closer to Christ. Third, uh, third element here, third age group, is we, um, again, this isn't always exactly sequential, but in this middle school age, if they've embraced Jesus, you want to help them grow with Jesus. I mean, this isn't the end point. This is the beginning point. Grow with Jesus. By the way, what's, what's, the, what's the subject? What's, what's the common subject in all these different phases? Understand Jesus. Embrace Jesus. Grow with Jesus. He is the curriculum. 
He is what we want to pass on, is the life and the understanding that Jesus brings. He's the curriculum. Everything in this Bible ought to point to him. Everything in this curriculum ought to point to him. He's the curriculum. I can tell you, um, you don't have to do it the way we did it, but I felt it was really important for our kids to ground their identity in Jesus. Because our world says, if you're really good at something, that's your identity. Or if you've been messed up in your past and something traumatic has happened to you, that's your identity. Or if you have a really good job, that's your identity. Or if you're in the perfect relationship, that's your identity. And I can tell you one thing. None of those things are who you are. That we don't find our self-worth in anything other than Christ. And so we took our kids through this book called The Search for Significance. And I would read them, read it to them. So how did we do this? We wanted to teach them identity. So I read, we read this book together. You catching a theme here? Together, 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 together. We do this together. This book looks really intimidating, but it's only 140 pages and the rest is a workbook. And I read this to them as a family hoping to ground them in the fact that, look, middle school's tough and high school's tough and life just gets tougher, but you are not who other people say you are. You're, you're, you don't have to feel good about yourself uh, if everything's going your way or if you're the most popular. You can feel good about yourself because Jesus loves you. And that's enough. That's sufficient. It's a great resource. Uh, the next thing we wanted to teach them was, uh, in the growing with Christ, is that they would interact with Jesus personally. We didn't want them just, this heart thing, it, it's great at church and it's great in the children's program and it's great on our youth group and I very much encourage that. We talked a whole sermon on that last week. But I wanted them to have a personal interaction with God. To know that the living God has things that he wants to say to them and he longs to hear from them and so they can come to him. And so we, we bought this little book off NavPress called Feeding Your Soul. And this is probably the best thing we've ever done uh, as parents. Friday morning, starting three years ago, Addie and I would go to McDonald's and I'd get her a biscuit. And while she ate a biscuit, I would read some of this book. And then we'd have a quiet time together. She'd have hers, I'd have it, and we'd share what God said to us. And we did that for a year, and we got through this book. And now she doesn't, I don't just tell her, hey, read your Bible. She knows how to read her Bible. She knows how to hear from the living God. And then the next year, Dane and I did it on Friday mornings. And then the last year, Shay and I just finished this book in May. And we didn't hit every Friday, did we? But we got through the book, didn't we? <laughs> and we learned how to talk with God. It's the greatest gift you could ever give your kid. Um, so you do quiet time together. That's how you do it. You just do quiet times together. Together. Last piece of this is at this age, your kid, 11-year-old has something to give to the kingdom of God, doesn't they? They do. Um, all three of my kids serve at Crossroads, and I think part of the reason we did that is we took them through the place process, which we encourage all people to do this, but find out what your spiritual gifts are and your passions are and how God's wired you, and then find a place in ministry in God's church that... Uh, 
that fits you and that you'll be fruitful in and that God will use you in. You'll be, you'll be fulfilled in that. And so I t- we took them through the place process together. Um, how we did that, we took them through place. That was the tool. But how you ingrain that in them, how that happens is you serve together. You serve together. Our, our small group met last night for a cookout. We had a great time, and we were talking about what mission project we're going to take on for the year. Each month, we're going to find a way to reach out to our community and, and pick something to get involved with. And one of the people in our small group said, um, can, can the kids come? I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the kids can come. Because then we'll be serving people together. And, and, and following Jesus isn't just this head thing or just this thing you do on Sunday. It's a lifestyle and it's a hard thing. Man, we, we serve other people because God has loved us and served us well. And we want to share that with other people. Absolutely, our kids can do that. Lastly, this high school age, and I'm going to be honest with you, we're we're a little behind. Some of the things I'm going to tell you, we haven't done yet. But at this high school age, you, you can cultivate them in their heart that they want to live like Jesus. They don't have to live like the world. They don't have to live like their friends. They don't have to live like what they see on TV. They don't have to live like the role models on YouTube and all that stuff. They can learn to live like who? Jesus. He's the standard for their life. Well, how do we do that? Um, I got several resources, and honestly, we haven't done all these as a family yet. Great breed called The Purpose Driven Life. How many of you have read this, by the way? It's like 20 years old. If you hadn't read this book, you ought to read it. It I blew my head off 20 years ago. It was awesome. And we haven't read this as a family yet, but before my kids leave for college, guess what they're going to read? The Purpose Driven Life. And we're going to read a chapter or two, and then we'll sit down and we'll go, what did you get out of it? What did God say to you? What, what? And we're going to do it. What's the word? Together. We're going to read the book together. We're going to just read together down here again. We're going to read it together. <clears throat> um, when they're living like Jesus, that means they're, they're uh, sharing the good news with others, right? Isn't that part of what it means to follow Christ? As this, this, this God has loved me so well and it's meant so much to me that I want other people to know what it feels like to go from slavery and bondage to freedom in Jesus. And because of that's so awesome and our God is so awesome, I want everybody to know that. And so, uh, you know, you take an invite card and you bring somebody to church or to youth group. We've seen several of our kids' friends come to faith in Christ. You want to have a thrill as a parent is to see your kids share the good news with, a, with, a, with another student. It's, it's unbelievable. There have been text conversations that our kids have had. One friend was going through a divorce, and they were texting him and telling him about, hey, you can turn to your heavenly father. He'll never leave you, and he's always there for you, and he loves you, and he sent his son Jesus for you. And I was so proud as a dad. Man, they're sharing Jesus with their friends. Praise God. So what, what do you do? What are the do part? You can help them write out their testimony and just share their story. Hey, this is what Jesus has done for me. 
Uh, you can take them through training. We do training at, at Crossroads here called Gospel, and you can take them together, take the class, and learn how to share the gospel with them. Or you can just have them take one of these pamphlets like that. The first time I ever told someone about Jesus is I literally just read a booklet like this to them. It counts the same. It works the same. God can use it the same. Okay? You're like, is this almost over? <laughs> I only got one more book, so you know we're almost done. We haven't done this yet. But I wanted to get my car, kids to get a heart for something called spiritual multiplication. Down the aisle, down the hallway here, you saw connect, grow, share, multiply, right? Spiritual addition looks like this, that somebody needs to hear the good news and they hear the good news and they respond to Jesus and they invite him into their life and we rejoice in heaven. But spiritual addition means they come and they get involved in the church and that's it. Spiritual multiplication looks a little bit different where they go, uh, not only do they say, uh, hey, come and know Jesus, but let me help you grow in Christ and you become a devoted follower of his and you start telling other people about Jesus too. And then the whole world can hear the awesome news about Jesus if not only we bring them to Jesus, but we teach them how to bring other people to Jesus too. And so before they leave my house, they're gonna have to read the Master Plan of Evangelism. It's a great book. Why? Because God said, raise them up in the training and instruction of me. I don't know what they're going to do for a living. I don't know what career they're going to follow. I don't know how much education they're going to get. I don't know who they're going to marry. There's a lot up in the air for my kids. And yours too. But we can lay a foundation in their life, walking right next to them, together following Jesus well. I want to challenge you as we close this service to embrace that challenge. God says you are the spiritual leader in your home and don't look to anybody else. You take this as a personal challenge that you're going to start somewhere. You might erase that whole grid and come up with your own plan, praise God. But you're going to walk out of here and say, God, I'm going to follow a plan. I want to lead my family well. I want to make sure we're pursuing you together. Will you bow your heads and, and, and pray with me? Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise that somebody told us about you. And God, we give you thanks and praise that somebody along the way has been showing us what it means to follow you. And as a parent, as a guardian, as a couple, as a grandparent, God, I pray all over this room you'd be speaking about the personal responsibility of leading people well, leading their families well. And if God is impressing upon your heart this morning that you're gonna embrace this, that you're gonna, you're gonna follow a plan to lead your family well spiritually, that you would just raise your hand as a declaration to God. God, I'm gonna lead my family well. I'm not gonna look to somebody else. I'm gonna take the responsibility to raise them in instruction and training of you. With your hands raised, I'm going to pray for you. God, thank you for these in the room here that, that have heard your voice loud and clear today. 
Lord, I pray that you give them the discipline. I pray you give them the passion. I pray that you give them the resources. I pray that you give them most of all the love in their heart for their family to lead them well from this day forward. That this will be a turning point in the spiritual direction of their kids' lives because of their decision today. And Lord, we, we recognize that this idea of embracing Jesus Not everyone in this room has done that. That they may know about you, but they've never entered a personal relationship with you. And today you've been calling their name. Say, I want you to know me. I want to forgive you. I want to take you from bondage and slavery and bring you into freedom and life. And today is the day you're saying yes to God's offer. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand and ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. Say, I'm ready to say yes to Jesus today. I want to know him in a personal way and embrace the free gift of life that he gives me. You pray with me and say, Jesus, I need you. Will you forgive me? Will you lead me? I give you my life. Come into me and make me new. Thank you for loving me. I want to love you back. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.